You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Well, we continue in our Advent series. Um, For hundreds of years, Christians around the world have been lighting an Advent wreath as a way of more intentionally and thoughtfully preparing their hearts for the birth of Christ and the significance of Christmas. And Christians have identified for hundreds of years these four main themes that have helped them enter into this season more appropriately, hope, peace, joy, and love. And our Advent wreath is meant to symbolize that. Uh, As we light our candles each Sunday and draw closer to Christmas, it is meant to symbolize our longing for Christ. Our longing as the wreath uh, increases with light on Christmas Eve, we light that Christ candle and we are reminded of the light of God that has come into the world, into darkness. And we hold in tension these two realities of longing for Christ and enjoying Christmas joy. There is so much that we long for. We long for Christ to return and to bring us into the fullness of his peace. And yet we live in Christian and Christmas joy, knowing that he has come. He's lived and died and rose for us. And that's what Christmas is about, holding in tension these two realities. Today we look at the theme of peace in our second week. And I want to start out with not so much of a Christmassy tone, uh, but it's a question that we'll discuss today. And that is, what would it look like or what would it take to make you at peace with the thought of your own death? Not a Christmassy tone you're expecting But we encounter a man in our passage today who was able to accomplish just that, becoming at peace with his own death. I want you to think about that for yourself. And uh, we, what would make you say, I'm ready to die? And I'm I'm ready to die. Christmas story we read tells of a man who was ready to die for all the right reasons. His name is Simeon. His story is told in Luke chapter 2. Let's read his story. This passage takes soon after the birth of Christ, soon after birth of Christ, and Mary and Joseph, his parents, uh, take him to the temple as uh, God's word instructed them to. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Follow along with me, please. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. See, not just a catchy part of a song for Christmas, but a real verse. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. Luke is a, a historian. He is a theologian. He is a disciple of Christ who is telling us this story. He is a man of science and a man of great faith. He's a doctor by trade and a historian a prof, uh, by profession. He's also a chosen disciple of Jesus. And the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell of the story of, of Jesus' life on earth, his life, death, and resurrection using their unique personality and vantage point of his life to tell his story. But Luke is the only one who tells this story. He's the only one that tells this story. I believe he's recording this story for his readers and for us to show us that included in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the good news of his coming. And it is not just history. It is not just true information. It's not just historical accuracy, but it is meant to be deeply personal. The good news, the story of Christ is meant to be also beautiful and moving and extensive in its reach and relevant to how we live our lives today. And maybe above all else, the gospel is meant to be incredibly personal and satisfying, not just historically accurate. The birth of Christ is the good news once embraced appropriately will yield a harvest of peace in the heart of the person who trusts in Jesus. I want to give a working definition of gospel peace for what the good news of gospel peace is, and then we'll work through that through our passage this morning. And here's what gospel peace looks like. Gospel peace is personal satisfaction rooted in God's faithfulness, enabling us to endure all that God brings to us with patience. Let's look first at gospel peace. What is the good news of gospel peace? It is personal satisfaction. Simeon takes Jesus in his hands. He takes him in his arms, this young child, and offers up a wonderful prayer. His prayer captures the beauty of God's peace. When Simeon looks at this infant Jesus, what does he see? He begins to praise God with an expression of personal satisfaction tied to the word peace. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. He is ready to die. He is ready and at peace with the Lord taking him from the earth. He sees Jesus and Simeon is like, Simeon, out. He's like, goodbye, everyone. I'm done, but not in desperation, not in despair, but in great peace. We know very little about Simeon. We know a little bit about him through the scriptures, but here's what we do know. He was told by God that he would not die until he saw the promised Messiah, the one who would come into the world to reverse the curse of sin and its consequences, the one who would rescue his people. And so Simeon waited a long time. That's what we know about Simeon. We waited a long time. And I think this concept is missed for us today. We don't have to wait for many things. We don't like to wait for many things. As 21st century Americans, when we do wait, we figure out new ways to minimize that waiting. 
We create new systems, new technologies, so that we don't have to wait very long. I mean, if you have Amazon Prime, you wait two days for most products. Two days for free. And even that feels like way too long. I have to wait a whole two days for my product to travel 2,000 miles? What, what an injustice. We think it's just too long. And now, some markets, you can even get it in under two hours. And you know there's people out there when it's two hours and ten minutes, and they're just like, well, this is just absurd. Make me wait for my LED light-up Christmas sweater. I know that longing for something and enduring something for long hours and years is not popular today. It's painful. If anything, the ideal 21st century person can make things happen on their own. We can make things happen on our own. We don't need to wait for things to happen if we don't want to for most things. I, but we need to see Simeon. We need to see his character here. We need to see as he waited because he was called a righteous and devout person. He was righteous and devoted to God. And this foundational quality of Simeon was he was a man who patiently waited on God. You know, when Luke, the the author of this gospel narrative, when he describes throughout his story and devout people in the Bible. He described them as people who looked forward to God, looked forward to seeing God's salvation revealed to them that he promised for hundreds of years. They longed for him. They waited. Waiting for God today or waiting for things today is a bother for us. But in the Bible, waiting for God was a sign of holiness and trust in him. I want to say that again for you to hear. Waiting today is a bother. But in the Bible, it was a sign of holiness and trust in God. When Simeon meets Jesus, his immediate response is to trust and believe in him. With this child in his arms, secure in God's presence, Simeon experienced profound peace of the soul. He was ready to die. And his reason is clear, for he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. He doesn't say, For my eyes have seen part of your salvation or a glimpse of your salvation, but this Jesus, whom I now hold in my arms, is all that I need. This is what I've been waiting for. This is all that I need. We are right to long for Jesus because he's not just another thing that we grasp along our journey of life. He's everything that we need. He is the only hope of a truly fulfilled and satisfying life. We don't accumulate a little bit of this in life, a little bit of that in life, a little bit of Jesus, and now I have this well-rounded life, a little Jesus, a little bit of other stuff. It is this idea that my fulfillment comes securely from God who gives salvation through Jesus. Peace. At its basic foundational emotion is personal satisfaction. Satisfaction knowing that Jesus plus nothing is everything. Completely sufficient for us. Even in the midst of tension, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of unmet 
and unrealized promises from God, to know and see Jesus is peace. And this scene that Luke wants to highlight is more than just historical fulfillment. He doesn't look upon this event and say, oh, it finally happened, the thing that I've been waiting for. It seems that Luke wants us to see that this is a holy, personal event. And we should see it as personal as well. We should make the Christmas story a very personal event in two aspects. One, personal for our own conversion. That's our conversion from spiritual death into spiritual life that comes through faith in Christ. God prepares a heart by stirring up our hearts to receive him, to believe in him, to trust in him. And so his coming is for our personal salvation. And second, it's for this ongoing peace that happens in our life as we live. To see love and the grace and the power of Jesus bear more and more on our life as we go through life. And it builds up all the way up into the point where Jesus returns again. He wipes away sin from the world and all of its consequences. You see, we don't stop working towards peace when we become Christians. We don't stop laboring to be satisfied in Christ when we are converted. In many ways, that's the starting point of our peace. And so we are meant to see that the Christmas story is so personal for how we come into relationship with God, but also how we grow in the midst of suffering. He may be doing that in your life right now, in this Advent season. He may be frustrating you. He may be frustrating parts of your life. And you may be tempted to find your fulfillment in something other than Jesus. God's salvation is deeply personal. This time of year can give us all a pause to reflect on our longings, the things that we want, the things we long for. And we should ask ourselves, are our longings, our affections, our peace, are they pointed and fulfilled in Christ? Or are we looking for those longings and desires to be filled in something else? Am I hoping in something else? Ultimately, that won't be able to fulfill me the way that Christ can. Is there a longing in your heart today for something that the world or a person or persons in this world will not be able to satisfy? And could it be that Christ is stirring in your heart to see him as your consolation and comfort? That's what Simeon says. He says, I'm, I've been waiting for this, and this consolation has come to me. Simeon had given his entire life to what, to what he calls waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know what a consolation is, right? You've heard that. You know what a consolation prize is, right? It's like first prize, second prize, third place prize. They all get prizes and then the judge looks at the person who came in fourth and says, you seem really sad. Here, you know, I'm going to do something. You get something too. It's a consolation prize. You're the, you're, you lost. You're kind of a loser, but we're going to make you happy anyway. So Simeon here is like, Israel's in fourth place. 
we're waiting, we're hurting, we're, we're not winning in this world, we're being oppressed and tormented and suffering. When does our consolation come? When are we going to be consoled and comforted? Because we feel like we're really losing. What is our fourth place? Life. That's us. We're, we're, life is fourth place. Life is hard. We're waiting for it to get better. We're waiting for peace to come. And along comes Jesus as our consolation and our comfort. Let me go on to describe this kind of peace and what it looks like and where it comes from. It's a personal satisfaction, but it's rooted in God's faithfulness. Gospel peace is rooted in God's faithfulness. What impresses me a lot about Simeon is this powerful combination that he has in his testimony of two things, personal righteousness that has manifested itself in this longing for Christ, longing for God's, God's uh, peace and salvation, personal righteousness mixed with this spirit empowerment and faith to take God at his word. Right, So there's this longing, this personal righteousness to trust in God, and then this spirit empowerment to take God as his word, to believe in him. And it's good for us to realize that peace is not contingent upon our faithfulness to live up to all that God has commanded to us. If that were the case, the, the Bible would not talk about good news. It would just call it news. Better yet, it would actually call it bad news. Here's the bad news. The peace that God promises to you comes at your own character according to your own righteousness and behavior. Oh, that's horrible news. I wouldn't get that peace. You wouldn't get that peace. No one can meet up to those expectations. Peace is linked to the assurance that God does what he says he will do. It's linked to his faithfulness, not ours. And that's what Simeon has. He has this beautiful combination of longing for God, trusting in God, and then also saying, God's going to do what he said he's going to do, even when it doesn't feel like it right now. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to long for it. I'm going to look for it. And when it comes, I'm going to know it's there. And he takes Jesus in his arms, and he knows it right away. I bet he saw them walking through the door of the temple, and I'm sure he felt it right away. That's who I've been waiting for. Salvation, it doesn't come from within. It's not manifested through self-progress. It is from God. It belongs to God, and it's given to us as an act of his grace for all who long to see it coming. It's an act of God's initiative to bring his good news of salvation to all. Do you hear what Simeon says? He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. He is recognizing that this salvation, this peace, this rescue, it's got to come from outside of him. It's coming from the outside and coming in. He says, this didn't come up from myself. I couldn't produce this. I didn't I didn't make it. I didn't design it. I didn't produce it. It's coming from God. What would it look like to be a person who's looked at as a person who is profoundly different because of how satisfied you are in Christ, because of how sure you are that Christ is doing what he said he will do in you? What would it look like in your life to be that person, to be identified by a kind of peace 
that comes not from what you accumulate, not from what you accomplish in this life, not by how people treat you or think of you, not by your reputation, but because of the peace that God has given to you through Jesus Christ. Profoundly different. I don't know how long Simeon was waiting for Christ, but I bet it was a long time. I don't know what he was doing during that time he was waiting, but I, but I, be, uh, I bet I could guess that much of his time was spent rehearsing and devouring and soaking in God's word, looking for signs of his coming, looking of signs of his character, looking of signs of his promises, rehearsing what God has said and how to identify it when it comes. So much so that as soon as he saw Jesus, he recognized him. I've been waiting for you my whole life. And so here's the question for us. Can you recognize God's work in your life today? Do you see his coming? Can you recognize when he's moving in those quiet ways? It doesn't come through the bullhorn. It doesn't come loud shouts often. It usually comes in this small whisper. And if we're not careful, we'll miss it. Can you recognize, are you attuned to, are you even paying attention to what God is doing? And and getting better at recognizing it comes through a, a thoughtful and humble study of God's word. Figuring out who is God, what is he like, what has he promised to me, what is his character and personality and promises so that I can just know him and get close to him as much as possible so that glimpses of his work in my life I'll be able to recognize. There's nothing that can compare you better to see God's hand in your life than a humble investment and time in his word. Your eyes and heart will be more prepared to see him working. And when we are like that, when we dig into his word and study him, not just intellectually, but with our hearts embracing what he says, holding true to his promises, longing for what he promises, it will enable us to endure all that he brings to us with patience. It's the final part of our definition is that in the gospel peace is enduring all that God presents to us with patience. Sometimes waiting a long time. The beauty of Simeon's experience here, it's not limited just to his life, but it expands beyond his life to our life and, in fact, the whole world. Central to Simeon's experience and what he sees is the breadth of all that it means. He says, salvation has come, your salvation has come. And then this phrase, which I love that he says, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. See, God is being gracious to Israel. He's being gracious to Simeon. But that grace does not end with them. But Simeon knows that God's grace is going to overflow their borders of this small nation. And it is meant to overflow into everyone who needs it. Everyone who's struggling. Wherever there is a lack of peace, this good news is meant to overflow from their lives and into the world. Simeon knows that God's target for his love is not just him, and it's not just Israel, but it's all people. And he expresses this so well in verse 32. He says, A light for revelation to the Gentiles 
and for glory to your people Israel. What will become of God's people? What will become of Israel? Looking at it from their perspective, they have been, they've been oppressed, they have been enslaved, they have been murdered, they are waiting for consolation and comfort, they are hurting. What will become of them? They will be vindicated, they will be rescued, and they will be redeemed. God will save his people from their enemies, but why? And this is not a time for God's people to now get back at their enemies. It's not a time for them to say, you just wait and see. Our time is coming. How do you like me now? Jesus is here. Simeon doesn't say, Jesus is finally here. Let's see if they're going to laugh at us now. It is not a time for God's people to say, we started at the bottom, but now we're here, and you all better worry because my big brother is coming. The future coming of Christ, so they looked for Christ and they longed for his rescue. And Simeon is saying this is not a time for God's people now, even though they're going to be vindicated, to take this good news and hold it over their enemies as a way to personally seek vindication. And so now we look forward to Christ coming in the future. And it's not a time for Christians to say now, you keep being mean to me now. When my big brother comes, you're going to be in real trouble. Here is what he's saying, that they are saved, we are saved, to proclaim peace and salvation to the nations. We are saved not to ridicule those who are not, but to proclaim peace to those who are not. Do you see the difference? This is not about looking at the world and those who oppress and saying, you'll have your time now, but my time is coming. When Jesus comes back, you all will be sorry. You all will be sorry. Now that will come true and that may come true, but that's not, uh, that's not our job to exercise it. Here is what God says. He says, I'm giving you peace so that it will overflow your life and be, bring peace and salvation to the nations. This comes at a great cost. Proclaiming peace comes at a great cost, often to us. Our story takes a very unexpected and bizarre turn. It really does. Simeon is happy. Simeon is, is he's ready to die, and he's excited about it. He has seen God's salvation, and not only for what it means for him, but a blessing to all the nations. It's so good. And Mary and Joseph marvel at what Simeon is saying, and they're saying, this is good, right? This is really good. They've seen a lot of miracles up to this point, and, and they're still marveling at what people are saying about Jesus. And then he says, then Simeon says, Mary, this is going to happen to Jesus, and it's going to be so good, but lives will be destroyed because of it. Lives will be disrupted. Nations will fall. Kings will be defeated. People will hate and kill one another because of this child. Your very son will die and you will suffer greatly. It will feel like a soul is going through your soul. Well, can we go back to the peace part? Can we go back to the talking about how this is really good? But then Simeon goes right into this. He says peace will require a lot of pain. Christmas is not a fairy tale. It is beautiful, but it's very dangerous. 
Christmas is beautiful, but it's also painful. The news of Jesus is very beautiful, but it's not safe. Why not? Because Christmas discerns our hearts. The reality of Christ's coming is a lie detector test. It is a purifying fire, and how we respond to Christ will be telling. It will tell if we have reason to be at peace and to be content, no matter what comes our way, or it will tell us if we have reason to worry and be troubled. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. This is the Christmas story. That salvation is from God, manifested in Christ, received by faith. There is no other hope. Some will receive it. Some will hate it. The message of Christmas reveals our hearts. And Simeon says, and you, Mary, there's nothing better that can come to you than this son being born. But you, Mary, will suffer greatly. You're going to see your own son pay the cost for our peace and it's going to rip you in half. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't sugarcoat the gospel. He's a godly man, righteous and devout, a godly man who's, per, who's personally and profoundly satisfied with the gospel that is beautiful and dangerous. Beautiful and dangerous. It's easy for him to say hard things, He's about to die, right? It's, it's easy for, it's, it could be like, well, this is kind of a cop-out. It's easy for you to say hard things. You're about to die. Mary, things are going to be really messy for you over the next 30 years, but I'm going to die, so pretty happy about that. <laughs> but you are going to have to endure it. See, Simeon doesn't have to go through this now, but Mary does, and we do. You're going to have to endure this life where things don't work the way they're supposed to. People don't treat you the way they're supposed to. Trouble and sorrow come upon you like a thief in the night, stealing your joy. But I want you to remember what I told you, Simeon says. I want you to remember, God is in this, has appointed this, and he is good, and he's not surprised by anything. As amazing as it is, not everyone will believe it, not everyone will enjoy this peace, and that's expected. And this is really worth understanding because year after year we hear that Christmas is the story of God's peace and in the midst of struggle and suffering and sorrow. And we are prone to say then, well, which is it? Is Christmas and the coming of Christ the story of peace or is it a story of suffering to which God says, yes. We hold in tension these two realities, this side of heaven, that Christ has come to bring peace, to save us, and to give us a peace that truly satisfies, and we still are waiting for all the effects of sin and the consequences of sin to be wiped away. And where we see two mutually exclusive emotions, peace and suffering, God shows us a reality where both can exist. He says, this is beautiful, this baby we hold in our arms, but it is dangerous. Hope is not meant to take away our suffering, but it's meant to season our suffering. It is like a coarse salt that you grind into meat to tenderize it. Hope is meant to tenderize our suffering. It is meant to bring perspective on our suffering. 
The peace of Christ gives us hope in the midst of suffering. And this is the ugly side of peace, but it's also necessary for our salvation. We are being purified. We are growing. We are waiting. We are longing. And that process is painful. Mary knew that this pain would come to her from the moment he was born. She knew this when she was told by the angel that she was even pregnant. She knew that this child of hers would bring tremendous peace to all nations, but she knew that it was very, very scary. She didn't quite know exactly how, but she knew that it would be very hard. And yet she endured this suffering. I love the balance that Simeon has, the kind of balanced spiritual eyesight that you and I need. And here is, here is what it is. Godly people are supremely satisfied with a costly gospel. Godly people, mature godly people are satisfied that the gospel is costly. We don't want a cheap gospel. We don't want a feel-good gospel. We don't want a sentimental gospel that just says, put on a better face, be happy, smile more, especially this time of year. Have you ever felt that? The closer we get to Christmas, the less annoyed you're supposed to be on the roads, right? And then Christmas Eve, you're like, get real frustrated. And you're like, oh, it's Christmas. I shouldn't be annoyed. There's nothing sentimental about it. Like, why? What makes that day special among others? It, it isn't. So be grumpy. No, I'm sorry. That's not the answer either. It's, a, it's, it's not a sentimental reality or emotion. It is a costly gospel. We need a costly gospel because we need great rescue. We, we need a costly gospel because our, our depravity is not just emotional. It's not just political. It's not just relational. It's not just physical. It is completely exhaustive. It is spiritual. It is in nature. It is extensive in all of its ways. We need God not just to be happy and peaceful and joyful and bubbly. We need him to be strong and mighty. We need him to break the bonds that hold us. We need him to defeat sin. And the only way he could do that is with a costly gospel giving his own life. And it would cause so much pain because sin is painful. We need a costly gospel because we need a big rescue. Do, do you see how the gospel of peace is so beautiful? I want to close on a couple parts here. Do you see how beautiful it is? Um, when was the last time the realization of God's love for you made you cry? Now, there are people who cried everything, and I'm not talking to you. <laughs> this doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, when was the last time that you were satisfied to tears? When was the last time that you really dwelt upon the undeserving love and grace of God that has come to you, and you are moved in your emotion, truly satisfied, knowing apart from his grace, you would never know that true love, and it just moved you to tears because of how beautiful it is, how satisfied you are. 
Your sorrow is still there. Your struggle is still there. Life is still really hard. But you're overwhelmed with a great contentment knowing that you are held tight in the hands of God. I'm talking about that kind of satisfaction. That's what Simeon felt when he held Christ in his arms. What does it look like to endure with patience? To be a follower of Jesus means that we have declared that that nothing is more important, nothing is more lovely, nothing is more attractive, nothing is more worthy than Jesus. Even to the point of death, we go all the way to the point of death, and Jesus is still the most important. You may not know what to do when trouble happens, but you know who holds you in his hands. That's contentment. Remember that God appointed the future execution of his own son. And given the chance, he would do it all over again for us. We are told that Jesus endured the cross with joy. Well, which is it? Is it struggle? Is it sorrow? Or is it joy? Is it peace and contentment? Or is it pain and suffering? These are held together for now. Even God's beautiful plan of peace has an ugly, painful side to it. And that means that trusting in God's providence and his goodness in the midst of difficult or painful circumstances that you find yourself in is what it means to be a Christian today and to trust in him. You see, the story of Simeon is a reminder that Christmas is essentially about the far surpassing satisfaction that a personal relationship with Christ can bring to a person. True peace, everlasting peace, comfort, consolation in the midst of our struggle. And this peace is meant to well up in our heart, overflow even to our enemies. God will defeat our enemies. God will defeat once a sin once and for all. God will bring future and permanent peace to his people. He gives us his peace so that we would be a light to all generations that come. Have you experienced that kind of personal relationship, that kind of peace? This Christmas season, dwell in that, like rest in that. Long for him. We've gotten really bad as, as Americans of, of just of longing and waiting. And, and we almost always talk about waiting in a very negative sense. And yet there's something so godly and holy about it. Friends, we wait for God to come back because life is hard. That waiting is an act of faith. And in the midst of that, he's strengthening us. In the midst of that, he's anchoring us in his love and in his peace. Why? Because Jesus has come. He's done everything he said he would do. He has filled us with his spirit as a guarantee of our future inheritance, and he will come again. And so as we light this wreath, we are longing still. We're waiting for him to come back. But we wait as ones not without hope. We have his peace. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.